0: Well, hello again and welcome back. I'm Nurse Mo, and this is the Straight A Nursing Podcast where I teach nursing concepts and share tips on how to thrive in school and at the bedside. Before we dive into today's topic, yes, I still have a cold. If you listened last week, I probably sounded even worse then. I've waited a little bit to record this and the next four episodes as long as I could. So I'm going to sound a little bit sick for all of them. I didn't want you to think that I was sick for a whole six weeks. I just record a bunch of episodes all at the same time. I'm actually doing a lot better. I just sound kind of nasally and I'm still pretty congested. So wanted to tell you about that. And then I also want to share a listener shout out. And this one goes out to Katie, who says, I got an A plus on dosage calculations. Did I mention I have always struggled with math and never have even come close to an A before, thank you Nurse Mo for Crucial Concepts Bootcamp. Your program has helped me succeed in ways I never thought possible and has given me the confidence to continue on this crazy nursing journey. I am forever grateful. So thank you, Katie, for taking time to submit your feedback about Boot Camp. And if you're curious what Katie is talking about, Crucial Concepts Boot Camp is my nursing school prep course, and one of the modules teaches dosage calculations. I'll put a link in the episode notes so that you can check it out, or you can just go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on courses in the top menu bar. So today I am sharing with you seven things that if I were your clinical instructor, I would make sure you knew these seven things before your first clinical day. So the very first thing is simply how a clinical day flows. What's a day on a nursing unit look like? What happens? So let's just talk about day shift because that's pretty much when your clinicals are most likely going to be, especially when you're brand new. They're not going to put you on night shift in the very beginning. So many nurses will actually get to work early in order to look up their patients ahead of time. This is not actually technically allowed because then you'd be working off the clock, but you will see that some nurses will do it. You will probably not be able to do this as a student. So what you're going to do is when you show up is you're going to get report. You might be meeting with your clinical instructor ahead of time, getting patient assignments when I went to nursing school, it was really common to go to the hospital the day before your clinical day and get your patient assignment and get all the information from the chart and then go home and write up a big care plan. And some schools still do that, but length of stay is really quick now. They try to get patients out of the hospital really, really fast. So there's really no point in going to the hospital the day before if your patient's likely to get discharged that night or the very next morning. So A lot of schools have the students just show up. You don't know anything about your patient. You'll get your assignment probably from your clinical instructor or you'll get assigned to a nurse to work with. It's going to vary from school to school, but the first thing you're going to do on the unit is get report. So during this report, it's a handoff report or change of shift report, is the nurses meet. The nurse that's going home meets with the nurse that is taking over. And so if you've got, let's say you're taking a care of two patients for your clinical day, right? You will meet with that offgoing nurse with the nurse that's actually the primary for those patients. You'll meet with the offgoing nurse for each patient and get a brief report on each one. You may also do a quick hello to the patient, but you're not really doing any other interventions or any other major assessments. I will say there are some exceptions to this. So if your patient is a neurological patient, they're there for a neurological condition. You will do a neurological assessment with the off-going nurse because neuro can be pretty subjective. They're very subtle with the changes or the things that you might see. So you want to make sure that what they see is what you see. So we're all on the same page. If you'd like to dive into how to do a neuroassessment, go and listen to episode 234. Okay, so that would be one thing that you would want to check. I would also look at any wounds and I would also look at any dressings because if there's maybe the patient just had surgery and you go and look at the dressing an hour later, when you come back to do your full head-to-toe and you notice that the dressing is saturated, you would want to know, wait a minute, did this just happen or has this been happening? So things that I look at with the offgoing nurse are neurological status, wounds, and dressings, okay? So anything really outside of the ordinary. After you get report, you'll be checking the MAR. You're going to be looking at what medications your patient is getting that day and looking at the orders for the day to get a general idea of how things are going to flow you'll also check your labs. Now, which labs you want to check are really going to vary from patient to patient depending on what they are there for. In a general sense, I'm looking at chemistries. I'm looking at the CBC. I'm looking at renal function and coagulopathies or their coags, as we say, to see if they have any issues with potential bleeding or potential overclotting. So again, that was chemistries. That's going to be your electrolytes mainly. I'm also looking at the CBC, which will tell me about the hemoglobin, the hematocrit, especially if they had surgery. I'm looking there for their platelets, for the white blood cell count, and then the coags, which would be things like the INR and the time. And then I also mentioned renal function because patients will often have acute kidney injury in the clinical setting or beginning medications that affect kidney function. Again, you will look at labs specific to what your patient is there for, but that's a general overview. Then you're going to go see all your patients. You're going to get vital signs on all your patients. You're going to get assessments on all of your patients. And hopefully, when you're brand new, it's one, maybe two patients in the very beginning. But it's going to feel like a lot. And you're going to have no idea how anybody juggles four, five, and six patients. I remember being a student in my second semester and running my tail off for two patients on a telemetry unit, and I told the nurse, I have no idea how you do this, and he basically said, it gets better with practice, and it, and it absolutely does. So then med passes, there's usually going to be a 9 a.m. med pass, a lot of the daily meds are due at 9 a.m., a lot of the twice a day meds are due at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m., so 9 a.m. is a really busy time, a lot of medications to do. So you'll be giving meds, and it depends on your facility how much of a time window you have to give those meds in. So at the facility where I work, you can give the 9 a.m. meds between eight. 01 a.m. and 9.59 a.m. So you kind of have an hour before and an hour after. In some facilities, it's more of a 30-minute window, so it just depends and make sure you know. Even though my facility had that hour window, my clinical instructor told us it was a 30-minute window, so we had a much tighter time frame. But we also were taking care of a lot fewer patients. So from 8 to 10 or around there is when the nurses are going to be giving their 9 o'clock clock medications. It's a very busy time. And then at some point, probably in the mid-morning, there's going to be rounding. So this will vary based on the unit where you work, in some facilities, like when I worked in the ICU, it was a whole gaggle, a whole team of people that would come through and do rounds, and you had to get ready for rounds and present your patient's um, issues and problems to the whole team. So you may see that happening, but more likely on a like a med surge unit, It's not going to be a whole giant team, but you will see people coming through. The residents may come through. The surgeon's going to come through. The hospitalist is going to come through. There's going to be a lot of different people coming through, and they may not necessarily all come through together because they're on different services or different teams. So, The thing that happens with rounds is you may get asked questions about your patient. You may be expected to provide specific information about your patient. You're also going to be getting new orders. So yes, you sat down earlier in the day and you kind of put your plan together. Well, guess what? When physicians come by, when nurse practitioners and PAs come by, they're going to write more orders. So you've got to be checking for new orders on a regular basis throughout the day. And then mid-shift, you'll get another set of vital signs if that's your unit protocol. Some units may have a protocol of once-per-day vital signs, which seems a little bit strange to me, but I have seen it. Some may be twice a day, some may be three times a day, which I think is more common, like every four hours or so. So vital signs, again, kind of mid-shift, and then a focused assessment looking at those things that your patient has specific issues with. You don't have to do a full head to toe, but if your patient's there for a lung issue, you're checking out their lungs again with your focused assessment. And then vital signs again, kind of later in the shift around 1600, another focused assessment. And then throughout all of this, throughout this whole day, you're doing All the things, checking blood sugars, helping with meals, administering PRN medications, which are those as-needed medications, giving all the other scheduled medications, and there can be a lot of those, responding to patient problems, getting new orders, like I mentioned, prepping patients for procedures, getting new admits, doing discharges on patients, changing dressings, getting patients up and moving around, getting them out of the bed to sit in the chair, from the chair back to the bed, to the bathroom, cleaning patients, doing baths, sending patients to surgery, getting patients back from surgery, calling the lab, calling the pharmacy, calling the doctors, calling the families. It's a busy day. And then at the end of the shift around 1700, 1730, starting to try to wrap things up, tallying the I's and O's, which is the intake and the output, how much fluids did they take in, how much fluids did they put out, and finishing up any charting. So that's in general how a clinical day might flow. So there you have a bit of an idea. So that's the number one thing that I would want you to know because I feel like um, when you kind of know what to expect and you see all the chaos happening around you, you'll start to feel there might be a little bit of order to all of this chaos. Okay, so the number two thing, and this is something students ask about a lot, is how to have effective time management in all of that kind of controlled chaos. So when I worked ICU and I would often float to like telemetry or a neuro floor, I would use a run sheet to keep my day as organized and flowing as I possibly could. So a run sheet is basically kind of built out like a table. Think of what a table format looks like with time slots running down one side and a vertical column for each patient. So in each patient's column, when I would sit down and go through their mar, go through their orders in the morning, in each patient's column, I would write down all the things that they have due or that I would need to do at specific times, like meds, specific lab draws, blood glucose checks, all of those things. I would go through my orders, do the same thing there. How often am I flushing the feeding tubes? Oh, every four hours. Okay, let's put those in there, etc. cetera. Do I need to change a dressing today? Okay, when is that gonna fit in? Oh, look, this patient needs to ambulate three times a day. When can I squeeze that in? So looking at all of those things, putting them on the run sheet with the full knowledge that things are gonna have to be flexible, We'll talk about that in just a moment, but making really clear which things are very time-specific so that I know I can get those timed interventions done on time and that I've worked in some space in the day to do those other things like ambulating the patient or changing a dressing. They don't necessarily have a time interval that they need to be done, but they do need to be done on my shift. So as you go throughout your day, you're just going to mark things off as you do them. And if you are a checklist type person, you'll love using a run sheet. And I would also use the run sheet to jot things down. Let's say I can't get to the computer right that minute, but I want to make note that Mr. Jennings had... 250 of urine output. I can jot that down on the run sheet, and then when I next get to the computer, hopefully not too long from now, I can get that in the chart and then cross it off the run sheet once it has been logged in the EMR. So, if you'd like more information about using a run sheet and want to see examples, I've put a link in the episode notes. It's on my website and it's straightanursingstudent.com forward slash nursing-run-sheet. I don't expect you to remember that if you're driving or out walking the dog right now. So the link to that is in the episode notes. And the other thing I would say about time management is that it has a lot to do with prioritizing. So in the beginning of the day, you'll prioritize the things that demand your attention, but you also have to understand that Every time you assess or interact with a patient, you're probably going to have to reprioritize. And that comes into play with those new orders that come in as well. So I know a lot of new students and new grads even say, you know, I had a whole plan at the beginning of the day and an hour into my shift, this thing happened and now my whole plan is off and then they feel frustrated and they feel like they can't get their day back on track your day's not ever going to get back on track because things have now changed. You're never going to get back to that plan because you have to constantly reprioritize. So think of your run sheet as as a theory, I guess. It's a loose Plan, but you're definitely going to be shifting things up as you go in response to what is most important. Okay, so don't get frustrated by that. It's just the nature of the job. People and their conditions are dynamic and constantly in flux, and that's just the way it is. Another quick thing about time management is just simply knowing how to navigate the EMR so that you know what kind of information you need, which will come with experience and understanding patients' pathophysiology and the treatments that we provide and knowing where to quickly find that information. So let's say you're about to give a medication for which you need to check a lab value first, knowing what that lab value is and where to find it quickly is just another way that you can keep your shift, keep your flow moving through. Where to find doctor's notes, where to find the nursing notes, where do you look to see what kind of block the patient had in surgery, etc. So as much as you can, if you ever have any downtime in clinical where you're not actively got your hands on a patient or doing something or observing something with a patient, get into the EMR and learn where things are. Really, really helpful for time management. Okay, number three thing that I would want you to know before your first clinical day is what the heck is happening in report. So we talked about report a little bit ago, like kind of what it is when I talked about how a shift flows. Let's dive into report a little bit more. So report can be a little overwhelming and a little bit intimidating for a new student or a new grad nurse, you will participate in this handoff report or what we call bedside report because we really like to do it at the bedside at least twice during your shift. In the beginning when you take over the patient and when you relinquish care at the end of your clinical day. Now, this could happen more often Maybe you send your patient to surgery at 10 a.m. You'll give report to the pre-op nurse. And then when the patient comes back to you after surgery at 4 p.m., you're going to receive report from the recovery room nurse. So it doesn't just happen at end of shift. It's basically a handoff report any time you transfer care to another nurse. So first let's talk about receiving report. This is what happens at that very beginning of your shift. You're going to meet with the nurse who's been taking care of the patient all night and get a brief summary of their condition, their problems, and their needs. This is typically very fast because nurses only have a few minutes to give report on each patient so they can get out on time, right? So I had a student tell me, I didn't know what was going on. They just started talking. That's how it is, right? They're just going to start talking at you. And if you aren't following a Long and aren't ready, you can feel a little bit lost. So, let's assume the off-going nurse is giving you report in a systematic way, and I hate to tell you this, it's not always going to be that way. But let's assume it is, and if report is being done in a systematic way, it's following S bar format, which is situation, background, assessment, and recommendation. So, they're going to start with a brief like the situation and background part, a brief overview, the patient's name, their diagnosis, any surgical or medical therapies that are being done, their code status, their age, like just their basic background. And then they get into that assessment part. That's the review of systems. And hopefully they're going head to toe and just know that because report is so fast, you're not gonna get a full review of every body system. You're going to get a brief overview of the body systems that are affected or pertinent to this hospitalization, okay? So if the patient broke their ankle when they were six and they're now 84, we're not talking about that, right? We're talking about the things that are pertinent to this admission for this patient. So that's the assessment part. And then at the very end, they'll let you know what the patient still needs. Hopefully, that's that recommendation component, like Bob needs to switch to PO antibiotics today so that we can get him discharged by tonight, something like that. When you are receiving report, you got to write stuff down, you guys. I know you'll see nurses not write things down, okay? Some people can do that. I cannot. And a brand new nurse who is a novice, right, which is you, is very reliant on procedures and lists and things like that. You must write things down. So use a brain sheet or what we also call it a report sheet. And in episode 108, I kind of break this down, how to use a brain sheet. So and also if you're in my boot camp you get a lot of practice with using a brain sheet and getting rapport as well. So use a brain sheet and you also want to understand all the alphabet soup, all the abbreviations that are being spoken and use as many as you can in your writing. Again, it goes fast. And also, if you are in boot camp and you haven't yet checked out The module titled Talk Like a Nurse, go and check that out. That will help you so, so much. So a brain sheet should have space for you to jot down notes for each body system. And I'm not saying it has to be this huge, elaborate thing. A lot of times you'll notice brain sheets can be very compact because you're really only writing down the very pertinent information. And you're not going to use each body system for every patient, again, because you're only keeping track of what's super relevant. Sometimes what's relevant is the abnormal finding, But other times, what's relevant is a normal finding. So for example, if I have a patient who had a stroke, came in yesterday, got TPA, and now they have zero neurological deficits, am I gonna skip writing anything in the neuro area because they don't have anything abnormal? No, that is hugely significant that my stroke patient has zero neurological deficits. So I'm gonna put something in that space that says, No deficits. Um, If the patient came in for an asthma exacerbation and now their breath sounds are clear and they have no feelings of shortness of breath, am I going to skip writing anything in the respiratory column? No. I'm going to write down clear breath sounds, no SOB, no shortness of breath, because that's pertinent to this admission. So in addition to using your abbreviations so that you can truck along and write really fast, a good brain sheet will make use of things like checkboxes, for common findings like alert and oriented, okay? You don't wanna have to write A-A-O every single time because a lot of your patients will be alert and oriented. It's great if there's a little checkbox there, you can just check it off. NSR, normal sinus rhythm, check that off. Clear lung sounds, check that off, et cetera. Now your school might provide a report sheet or brain sheet. The unit where you're doing clinicals may have one that they use. Or you can use the ones from Bootcamp, which are awesome, or the ones on my website. I'll provide a link to that in the episode notes, okay? So using a report sheet, super, super helpful. As you are getting report, you're going to have so many questions about what is going on. Please do not interrupt the person giving report. It will throw them off. And it's just kind of poor report etiquette. It throws them off and it makes report last longer. Again, this has got to be fast. So it's common etiquette to hold your questions until the end. Usually, here's what would happen to me. I would be giving report on a patient, especially in the ICU where a report can take like 15 minutes because the patients are very complex. And I would do my systematic head to toe. I'm talking about cardiac and they're asking me if the patient had a bowel movement. I'm like, I'm going to get to that, okay? If you would, just hold your horses, I will get to that. So a lot of times the questions you have will get answered as report continues. If they don't, wait until the end to ask your questions. Now, report is typically done at the bedside. And again, there are some assessments you will want to do with the offgoing nurse. And I'm not saying you're taking 20 minutes to do a full head-to-toe, because I know when you're brand new, a full head-to-toe can take a while. You're doing some critical joint assessments together at the bedside. That would be anything with neurological function. I would want to look at any dressings really quickly and just get an eyeball on any wounds if they don't have a dressing on them. Don't be taking dressings down, okay, because that's going to take forever. But if they have an Open wound, and you can look at it. Okay, great. I put eyeballs on it. So there's a lot that happens at report, and using a brain sheet and using your abbreviations. Using those checkboxes, hopefully, that your brain sheet has, holding your questions to the end can make report go much more quickly. And then when you're giving report, so as you go throughout the day, you're jotting things down on this brain sheet, any changes that your patient has had. When you are giving report, you will use this report sheet to report off to the next nurse. You'll use that S bar format, go through the patient's situation, background, All of that go into the assessment portion, the relevant head-to-toe assessment findings, and then end with the patient recommendation. What is the plan for the patient? What can the next shift do to help progress the patient toward their goal? Okay? All righty. So that was number three. Number four thing that I would want you to know before your first clinical day is who some of the key players are. I do have a whole big episode on the interdisciplinary team, which is episode 171. If you want to check that out, episode 171. But here are a few of the key players. So there will be CNAs. Certified nursing assistants at my facility, they're called PCTs, patient care techs, so whatever they're called at your facility, these are basically going to be those people that assist the RN in caring for patients by performing a wide range of really important duties, such as bathing, toileting, helping with meals, mobilizing patients, and just so much more. Note there are specific guidelines about what can be delegated to unlicensed staff. So if you're unsure about delegating, check out episode 120 for that so that you know what things you can safely delegate to a CNA. Okay, so that is one key player of the interdisciplinary team. Then you'll have your primary RN. This is the coordinator of care for that patient. It is the RN's role to assess the patient, implement the MD orders, perform nursing interventions to move the patient toward achieving their goals, all while ensuring patient safety and taking steps to avoid complications. Okay? And then the charge nurse, the charge RN, this person manages patient assignments, coordinates the flow of patients into the unit, manages staffing for the unit, solves problems, de-escalates situations with patients and family members, manages resources needed for the unit to function for that shift. It's a very dynamic role. And what charge nurses do can vary a lot from facility to facility and unit to unit, but that's a general idea. If you have a problem, and your primary RN is not able or available to help you solve it, you can go to the charge nurse. You can also go to your clinical instructor as well. And then we have physicians, of course. There are a lot of different types of physicians, and this is going to depend on each patient's plan of care. Hospitalists, you'll hear that term used. Hospitalists are employed by the hospital and are often the generalists, like the general doctor who manages patients in the clinical setting. But you'll also have lots of specialists, which could be surgeons, neurologists, cardiologists, cardiovascular surgeons, etc. cetera. And in the critical care setting, you have what's called an intensivist. So if you hear someone say intensivist, they're talking about a critical care doctor. These are often pulmonologists, but not always. Now, within that, there are different levels of physician. Interns are first-year residents who have just graduated from medical school. Residents are going to be in their residency for two to seven years of specialized training. And then some physicians go on to pursue a fellowship, which is additional training after residency. And that might be for certain specialties like neurology or some kind of specialized surgery. And then the attending physician is the one who has finished all their postgraduate residency training. The attending physician will often supervise the fellows, the residents, the interns, and the medical students, and is the physician who has final responsibility for a patient's care. You can often tell who is who by the length of their coat. Medical students typically wear shorter coats, and then the coats get longer and longer as they get up to that level of attending. Not always, but sometimes. So you just have to know who you're going to call when your patient has problems. A lot of times, the attendings want you to call the residents. The residents need that practice. So just make sure you know who you are calling. There are also nurse practitioners and physician assistants or physician associates. A lot of times the attendings want you to call them. They will have a nurse practitioner or PA on their staff and that's who they want you to call. So just know that there's a lot of different people. You have potential to get orders from all kinds of people, questions asked by a lot of different individuals on the patient's care team. The other discipline you will work with the most are the respiratory therapists. In most facilities, respiratory therapists administer all the respiratory medications as well as specialized oxygen delivery systems, including BiPAP, high flow nasal cannula, and of course, mechanical ventilation. Okay, here we are at the number five thing that if I was your clinical instructor, I'd sit down with you and say, I really want you to know this before your first clinical day is the most important skill that you can learn in clinical. So if you've been multitasking or kind of uh, daydreaming about something else, come back to me because this is really important. The most important skill that you can learn in clinical is to notice things. You probably thought I was gonna say how to start an IV, right? No, it's how to notice things. Notice what's going on with your patient. Notice changes in condition. Notice things that don't look right, sound right, feel right, et cetera. Failure to rescue is a failure or a delay in recognizing or noticing. It's a delay in recognizing and responding to complications. And failure to rescue, and you might think, how does this happen? it happens. And when you look back on failure to rescue incidents, it's almost mind-boggling, like how did nobody notice something was going on with this patient? Failure to rescue includes four key elements, errors in omission of care, so you could notice something and not do anything about it. That's not good. Number two, failure to recognize changes in patient condition. Failure number three, is a failure to communicate those changes. So not calling the doctor, not letting somebody know. And number four is failures in clinical decision-making. Maybe you noticed something, but you didn't make the right decision. The conclusion here, or the physician didn't make the right decision. It's not just nurses. The conclusion here is that nurses have an absolutely critical role in preventing failure to rescue through early recognition and appropriate escalation and intervention of even subtle changes in patient's condition, okay? So here's what I mean. You might find it really interesting to learn that patients who require transfer to the ICU, like from, say, a med surge floor to the ICU, can have observable changes up to 48 hours prior to that transfer. What that means is those changes could have been noticed early. Before the patient became so compromised, they had to transfer to a higher level of care. So in clinical, noticing is one of the most important skills you can develop. And you develop that skill through learning how to assess patients how to interpret lab data, how to analyze EKG rhythms, how to know what complications the patient is at risk for, so you can be especially watchful for those. It's knowing what a normal assessment looks like, so you can recognize an abnormal assessment. And sometimes it's even if you don't know what's wrong it might be just enough to know that something isn't right so you can escalate it to the RN that you're working with. So if you're ever in clinical and you're not sure what to do, and this, this happens a lot with students when they're just still kind of getting into that flow of things, you can always assess and observe your patients and the things that other care providers are doing. So let's say you see that your patient has a problem or someone alerts you that a patient is having a problem. What are you observing the other healthcare workers doing to intervene and address that? What do they do? How does the patient respond? You can ask the nurse what clinical puzzle pieces came together to make them realize something was wrong and why they did what they did to help the patient. So learning from experience. And sometimes that experience is simply observation. But it's not just a passive observation because you're asking questions. Learning from experience and using what you learn to guide your clinical decision making is a highly effective and really powerful way to learn clinical judgment skills. And noticing is one of the most important skills you can develop. And it is essentially why the NCLEX has been changed to capture the new graduate nurse's ability to notice when something is wrong in order to prevent poor patient outcomes. Okay, the number six thing that I would want you to know before your first clinical day, if I was your clinical instructor, is probably not the thing you wanna hear, but I'm sure you've heard it. Not everyone is gonna be super excited to see students. Not everyone is going to be super excited to have a student and precept a student. It sucks, but it just is. A lot of nurses are burned out, to the extreme, and don't have it in them to supervise students. Some people are just not interested in teaching. Some people are just crabby no matter what. Even though it is my belief, and my opinion, that we all have a duty to share our knowledge to teach those up-and-coming students. Your preceptor may not feel that way. They may ignore you. They may not answer your questions. They may outright be rude to you. And if that happens, I'm so, so sorry that that happens to you. I know how it feels. I have been there. If that happens to you and you find you're working with a nurse who really wants absolutely nothing to do with you, do what you can independently. And if you need supervision for other things, can you reach out to your clinical instructor for those? It's also really helpful, no matter if you're working with a nurse who's welcoming and on board with having a student or not, is to introduce yourself at the beginning of the shift and let the nurse know where you are in your education and what you can Do, For example, I'm Maureen and I'm a first semester student and today I'd like to take all the vital signs and do assessments for two patients and give all their PO medications. I would also like to practice dressing changes and Foley removals if you see any of those opportunities come up. The nurses don't know where you are in your schooling and have no idea what skills you can do or what skills you need to practice. So by being very forthright and advocating for yourself, by introducing yourself and talking about the skills you're looking to attain and build on, you can set both of you up for success. But please don't be shocked if you get to the unit and the nurses are just not thrilled to have students. I hate that this is some of the reality for many students out there. But it just is. And I didn't want to not talk about it because I know you're excited about clinical and to go to the hospital and To find that not everybody is excited as you are can feel really crushing. And I hate that feeling. I had to suffer through that and I was shocked by it. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. Hopefully, you get placed on a unit where it's someone like me who loves students and loves to teach. Um, But if not, you're prepared and you can at least not be shocked by it. You might still be hurt by it. And I'm giving you a virtual hug about that right now. Okay, number seven thing that if I was your clinical instructor, and I wish I were because that sounds like a cool job, the thing that I would let you know is to really make the most of your clinical time. It's very, very precious. Once you know how to do basic care, and yes, you do want to spend some time practicing all those ADLs, activities of daily living, the toileting, the bathing, and the mobilizing, Get some practice doing that. But once you feel kind of comfortable-ish with that, you really need to spend time learning about the nursing process, how clinical decisions are made, how to do more advanced skills. So while it might be in your comfort zone, To do basic care, which is really important for patients, that's why it's the foundation of things, you've got to get out of your comfort zone to make the most of these very, very precious clinical hours. If you have a preceptor that is engaged with you, ask their thought process when they make clinical decisions. That goes back to learning from experience. Why did you decide to give him IV pain medication instead of PO pain medication? Why did you choose the nasal cannula versus the OxyMask? What made you realize the patient needed a diuretic? What made you think to call the doctor because you were concerned about a patient? Getting insights into how clinical decisions are made is a really, really valuable way to learn. So when I was in the ICU, I remember one day, for some reason, I had two students (laughs) for the same patients. I think it was because they might have been from different schools, and it's just the way that it worked out. So I was like, whatever, we'll figure this out, because, hey, I like students, and we were going to have a great day. And... So I always would go around to the other nurses and say, hey, I've got students today. If you have anything that they can help with or observe or learn, let me know. I'll send them your way. And I just, I had great workmates and they were often just really keen on having students. So this nurse came up and said, hey, I've got a tube feeding that needs to be set up. Do do you guys want to do this? And one student jumped up. Yes, I'm on it. Went in there. And the other student was like, eh, I've done that before. And I just thought, oh, no. No, no, no. Because guess what? Even if you've done something before, like set up a tube feeding, which is a basic thing, I promise you the the time that you don't do it is the time when you would have learned something because it's not always going to go according to plan. Even something as simple as setting up a tube feeding can have, you know, challenges or obstacles or troubleshooting involved. And that's when the real learning happens. I cannot tell you how many times even as an experienced nurse, I set it up wrong and made a huge mess all over the patient's bed, okay? So don't sit back on any observation, any skills, even if it's something you've done 20 times. Get in there and do it. I promise you, you will always learn something new, okay? And then as a bonus item, I know I said seven things, but this is kind of a bonus item. I don't want you to feel like you're expected to know everything okay you're learning learn ing which is an active thing learning is an active process that you are involved in in nursing school and you're going to have days where you feel like things click and you're doing all the things and you're loving it and then you're going to have other days where nothing seems to go right it's Okay, both of those days are perfectly okay because you are learning as long as you stay within your scope of practice as a student, you communicate effectively and honestly with your preceptor, your patients, and your clinical instructor, and as long as you can learn from mistakes or when things don't go right, and you're willing to jump in with both feet to try new things, you're doing just fine. So there you have it. Those are the seven things plus one bonus thing that if I was your clinical instructor, we would talk about before your first day in clinical. So I want to see you back here next week. We're gonna dive into fundamentals and talk about geriatric assessment. So I'll see you back here next week for that. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.